certainly cause some concern. But I don't want you to be dismayed or disheartened. Everything we are used to seeing and experiencing currently, especially in our affluent American society, is going to change these last seven years of man's history. It's going to change, drastically so. What if, I'm going to throw some what ifs out at you. What if, starting tomorrow, you went to buy something from Walmart or wherever, food, toiletries, stamps, gasoline, knickknacks, and the person behind the register said, I'm sorry, sir, ma'am, your money is no good. It's worthless. Or, in order to be able to buy these things, food, water, non-food items, you had to get a permanent mark on your body. And this mark identified you as a follower of a person who had been raised up by the world and had declared himself God. In other words, the Antichrist. Or, you had to stop going to church. A church that worships Christ and honors the Bible, as we do, and teaches eternal truths from God's Word. What if you were prevented from doing that? What if you couldn't do that anymore? And you were to turn all of your spiritual affection and worship to that very popular, charismatic leader who claims himself to be God. And if you did not focus your worship and attention on this leader, you would be threatened with your life. Or, here's another one, that all your family and friends and neighbors and co-workers were going along with this new program in the world and were intensely forcing you to join them and do the same thing that they were doing. Or they would disown you. They would ostracize you. Or that you would diligently look for some haven of rest and peace from the craziness of the events happening around you, the natural disasters that I've been talking about and the extreme worldwide violence and all of these things. You were looking for some safe haven and you weren't able to find it. What if? Or that you were told by the authorities if they, that if they found a Bible in your possession, you would be executed immediately. That's probably what would be happening at the end times. It's just a little taste of the last seven years of man's history on this planet. More specifically, the last three and a half years. When the Antichrist walks into the temple in Jerusalem and declares himself God to be worshipped. The Bible calls it the abomination of desolation. The horrible, terrifying, cataclysmic nature of life on earth where every day is a concentrated effort to stay alive, that would be extreme. But that's what's going to happen. These last two, these next two chapters in Revelation, chapters 17 and 18, show us the unstoppable buildup and demise of our world economics our political governmental systems that have brought some measure of stability to our world. Everything is hooked 
to the U.S. economy. Does everyone understand that? The U.S. economy prospers, the rest of the world prospers. The U.S. economy tanks, the rest of the world tanks. Everything is hooked around the U.S. economy, and the economy is fragile. It's like walking on thin ice. As America goes, so goes the world. Wall Street, the Federal Reserve, the government, the banking systems, the markets, the real estate, everything tied into our economy. If that were to splinter and fragment, can you imagine the chaos it would cause around the world? During the bowl judgments, God is showing John the Apostle what will be happening to the religious and political and economic systems of the world. In the first verse, in chapter 17, it says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you. And so it's during this, sec- this last measure, this last uh, triage, if you were, of punishments on the earth, uh, the, the bowls, the judgment bowls, is when this is going to take place. With the saints of God and the church taken out of the picture, the major entities of the world, the political and government and religious and economic, will be completely controlled by unbelieving people, especially overseen by the Antichrist, also called the beast. Two words come up in this kind of philosophy. One of them is humanism. Another is secularism. Does everyone know what humanism is? Humanism is basically the total focus on human values and thought, completely rejecting the supernatural, completely rejecting God. Humans are the apex of, uh, of everything, and that, that comes from an evolutionary kind of, of mindset. Like everything is, is gradually getting more and more complicated, and we're at the top of the ladder, humans are. The other word is secularism. And secularism, you probably have heard before, is a complete rejection of the religious values and, and uh, uh, all of the, the philosophies, uh, the theology that comes from studying God and His Word. These two, humanism and secularism, are now going to be reigning supreme in every decision that's going to be made. Can you imagine that? And it will be a focus on greed, avariciousness, and all of these things that cause widespread chaos. God's word, his laws will be ignored, and man's sinful nature will be unchecked. We will go out of control. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Listen to these words. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. And when Paul wrote these words to the first century church at Thessalonica, it was the first century, that's 2,000 years ago, he wrote that the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Can you imagine 2,000 years later, it's really churning up, and we can see that now very well. But the one who now holds it back, 
Paul writes, the one who holds it back like the finger in the dike is the Holy Spirit and the church will continue to do so until he is taken away, out of the way. In other words, raptured. So the church and the saints of God who have been, and we're here, and we're doing all we can to hold back the tide of lawlessness. But once we are taken out of the way, can you imagine what's going to happen on this earth? Verse 8 says, And then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. So, There's good news there, but before the good news, there's some not-so-good news. Now, we read in chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. The great prostitute here simply is a symbol of the ungodly system that I was just talking about, of government combining idolatrous worship with economic power that controls all the trade and the buying and selling is labeled in this, fa- this manner the great prostitute. And it says, who sits on many waters. The, the, the description in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, when it's talking about the sea or talking about many waters, most of the time it's talking about the worldwide population of humanity. So this great prostitute who covers many waters, who's over all the world, will be, verse verse 2, with her the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. In other words, the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated. They were completely sold out to to this great prostitute, to this woman, also called a woman. And the scarlet beast that comes up in verse number 3 is nothing else but the Antichrist. So let's back up just a little bit here. Adultery is another word that John is using to describe the false religions, mainly the New Age. Now, how many of you have heard the term New Age before? New Age thinking, New Age philosophy, you have. Good. Okay, so you have an idea. The New Age basically means this. The New Age thinking is that you have God within you already, and all you have to do is remove the rough, the roughage and all the stuff, and God will shine through you. But, you, you know, you've got, you got to go through a process. The, the divine nature is within each of us. And then the other part of the New Age is that many roads lead to God. It's not just Christianity. It's Buddhism. It's uh, uh, Darwinism, evolutionary. It's uh, Sikhism. It's uh, Islamic thinking. All roads lead to God. And is that true? No, it is not true. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman, no child comes to the Father except through me. 
So the only way that we can approach God and get into His presence is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other religion. There is no other pathway. No matter what the gurus are telling you, uh, Hindus, all of that is a smokescreen that the devil has fomented over all of the centuries and it has clouded many minds of people around the world, millions and millions and millions of them, to get them off track of the one true road, which is Jesus Christ. And this adultery will be widespread once the church is taken out of the way in the rapture. It's also called the doctrine of demons. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says this, The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons or doctrines of demons. Now, some will abandon the faith. There are some Christian denominations, I'm not going to name them, that say once you're saved, you're always saved. But I can tell you that the Bible, more and more and more, as you study it, says that persons can abandon the faith. They can walk away from God. And I I can't judge and say, well, they're going to hell because I'm not in the shoes of God. All I can say is that it's a scary thing to walk away from God, to abandon the faith. And it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That's what's happening even today. I don't know if you knew this or not, but every day, every day, every hour, there are Christians who once knew Christ are turning their back on Jesus and going off into doing different things. That's a sad, sad state of affairs. This woman, this great prostitute is one that foments, encourages spiritual adultery, which means this. You outwardly, you appear to be connected to God, but inwardly you're joined to lying, lying demonic spirits who hate the true God and who entice humans to worship themselves or something else, idols. Chapter 17, verses 3 and 5. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit to a desert. There I saw a woman, the great prostitute, sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. I'll get to that in a second. The seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. Very attractive this woman is. This woman who represents the false religious system that will dominate the world at the end times. And this beast, this scarlet beast that the woman rides, is the Antichrist. And it's interesting because... Uh, Over in verse number 8, this beast, I'll read it, which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. It's talking about the uh, the Antichrist. Now, let's get over to a statement uh, in verse number 3, which is also mentioned in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 17. 
It says, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Listen carefully. Five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. And then verse 11 talks about the beast who once was and now is not and is an eighth king. Now, what that means is this, and I've mentioned to it before in a previous message, is that the Antichrist, once he is lifted up and worship starts flowing to him, he will be assassinated. He will be killed. And after a day or two, three days, he will be raised up by supernatural power from the devil which is allowed by God to deceive many people. Why God allows that? It's part of the seductive system of the end times. And people will follow and worship this beast that once was and now is. He's raised up from the dead. And he will have supernatural power to command worship. Now, the seven heads and the ten horns. It mentions it in verses 9 and 10. What those are, the seven heads or seven hills. Rome, the city of Rome, is surrounded by seven hills so that uh, this uh, particular uh, beast will be uh, starting his, his reign, his rule in the city of Rome. Seven kings also is another meaning of the seven heads. And it's interesting, it says in verse 10, five have fallen, which refer to Roman emperors. Julius Caesar, Tiberius Caesar, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. All five of these were brutal. They were brutal against Christians. They persecuted Christians, put them to death. Nero was one of the worst. He would actually uh, tie Christians up at some of his parties, brace them against the pole, pour kerosene or some kind of flammable liquid, and then set them on fire. So they were actually living torches. In the, They would gag them so they couldn't uh, hear them scream, but they were living torches in some of his parties. Brutal, brutal beyond measure. One is, talks about the Emperor Domitian, which was alive at the time that John the Apostle was writing this. So And so it says, one is, Domitian was the one that sent John to the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea off the coast of Greece where he wrote the book of Revelation. And then it says, one is to come. This will be the leader of the revived Roman Empire, the Antichrist, the beast. Then it goes on to say, there will be ten horns. What are those? Those are ten kings. They are uh, the ten nations of the revived Roman Empire, also known as the European Common Market, and they will set the stage for the Antichrist uh, to exercise his power, and it will start in Rome. Chapter 17, verse 13, this says, They have one purpose, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They will temporarily allow the beast to rule. They will submit to him. Verse 14 of chapter 17 says they will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. This European common market, this revived Roman empire that's in Rome, headquarters in Rome, will be so bold as to come against Christ, and Christ will destroy them. And that will happen primarily at the battle of Armageddon. We've already talked about that. All right, 
It's interesting that in verse number 5 of chapter 17, it says, this title was written on her forehead, her being the, the, the woman on the scarlet beast. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. This religious system that controls the one world government is a false religion. It will lead people into apostasy and worship of idols. And that is compared... Everyone knows what a prostitute is, right? A prostitute is somebody that is uh, uh, that has no focus or no allegiance or, or no adherence to one person, one man. A prostitute is one that gives her favors out to anyone. And it's interesting because the New Testament church is viewed as a virgin. In chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verse 2, it says this, I, Paul, am jealous for you, Corinthians, with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Our allegiance should go to Jesus Christ. We are a pure virgin. We're not uh, giving ourselves to any other form of thought, any other religious thought. We are focused on Christ. And because of that, we are a pure virgin for Christ. Christ will take us as his bride one day. The church is warned not to be spiritually adulterous. In other words, every church will be judged severely by God one day. I will be judged more severely than you will because I'm a pastor of a church. And because I'm responsible for giving the Word of God out, unadulterated, pure, and good doctrine and sound and true doctrine, I will be judged for that severely if I don't adhere and James and the church will be there are so many churches in America that are so watered down oh, they they preach the, the social gospel which you know we're to do good works but you come here to hear the word of god you come here to hear the truth about god and about what you're to do as christians you're not here to get your ears tickled about how good you are and how god is pleased with you that's that's a small part of the picture you're here to hear truth and you're here to obey the truth and we will be held accountable james chapter 4 verse 4 james the lord's brother writes to the New Testament church. And this is what he says. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's a big category. A friend of the world. What does that mean? That means simply you give your heart to the things of the world. To the entertainment, to to the to the money, to to the all of the all of the things that the world has, and your first love is not Jesus Christ, but your first love is the world. And God says, "Do not become adulterous. Don't give your heart to the world. Give your heart to Me first, and then all these things." Jesus said, "I will provide for you. I will take care of you if you are true to Me." The beast, the Antichrist, uses three cities during his short reign of three and a half years. Rome, I've already talked about that, where he begins as the head of the revived Roman Empire. Then Jerusalem, the beast carries out 
a plan to be declared God, which I mentioned earlier. Then he will have the Jews, as well as the rest of the world, to worship him because he's declaring himself God. He will walk into the... the, I've been there this past year in March. I was there with my youngest son on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It was a very interesting place. I tried to get in with these two small Bibles. And you had to go through security. And the lady looked at me and said, I'm sorry, sir, you can't bring these Bibles into the Temple Mount. I said, okay. So I took them out of my pocket. I, I found a little post, uh, you know, column nearby. I stuck them behind the column, hopefully, hopefully that nobody would take them because, I, you know, I was reading them while I was on the trip. And then I walked into the Temple Mount with my son. And on the Temple Mount, it's, it's, you know, it says mosque that's there, believed to be where Muhammad ascended into heaven. It's a holy site. And the, the Bible says at the end, and basically saying at the end times, that will all be gone. There will be a temple that will be rebuilt, dedicated to the Jewish people and to the reinstitution of their worship. And in that temple is where the Antichrist will come. And then... The last city, the third city, is Babylon. Now, in the deserts of Iraq during the war there, and it's still going on, mostly now concentrated in Afghanistan, our troops were, some of them had the opportunity to view the ruins of of the ancient city of Babylon. And Babylon in years and years and years, centuries ago, was a wicked city. It was dedicated to ungodliness. This ruins will be rebuilt out of the deserts of Iraq. The beast, the Antichrist, will move his religious, political, and economic headquarters to Babylon, and there will reign an absolute power and terror on the nations of the world. In verse 16 of chapter 17, the beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. What that means basically is this, is that the the beast will tolerate the woman, the great prostitute, that represents this religious economic system until he's done with her, then he will, uh, uh, where he, she helps him to build up and consolidate his power. Once he has it, then he will turn against her, attack her, and overthrow this system, and he will, he will, he will demand complete worship and obedience to him. He wants to be the center of worship. And he wants to control all the economic systems of the world, mainly using the marks on our skin or our forehead or on our hands. 666, the mark of the beast. Now, getting to chapter 18. There are two stages in the fall of Babylon. Babylon will fall in in verse 2 of chapter 18. With a mighty voice, this angel coming down from heaven, who had great authority, said, Fallen, Fallen is Babylon the Great. That means there are two stages in the fall of the city that's been revived in the deserts of Iraq. The first fallen, the first stage, is that the Babylon system of false worship will be destroyed by the Antichrist. Again, he will eliminate any competition. Just like God overthrew the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Let me read that real quickly. Verse 4 of Genesis chapter 11, Then they, the people, 
that were under the auspices, under the command of Nimrod, built a city. He says, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. God had commanded the people, once they left the ark, Noah and his sons, to scatter over all the earth. But there was a, uh, a, a rebellious group that said, no, we're not going to scatter. We're going to stay here and build a city, Babylon, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. Verse 5 in chapter 11 of Genesis, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the men were building. And he said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible. Come and let us go down and confuse their language. Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. Verse 9, that is why it is called Babel or Babylon, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. It's interesting nowadays when you turn on the news and some foreign person is being interviewed, what language are they speaking? English. It's becoming a one-world language. When Alexander the Greek, I was going to say Alexander the Grape was part of the jokes I used to say, when Alexander the Greek was making his conquest back in 300 B.C. before Christ, he, he actually caused the world to be forced to learn Greek. And that's primarily why the New Testament was written in Greek, because of Alexander the Great. The second fallen of Babylon is that the city of Babylon will be destroyed by God in just 60 minutes. It says very clearly that uh, there would be uh, in one hour your doom has come. Verse number 10 of Revelation chapter 18. Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon city of power, in one hour your doom has come. So two stages of the fallen. The first stage is the elimination of the false worship system that Babylon uh, was uh, there to help promote. And secondly, the city itself will be destroyed. But God says in Revelation chapter 18, verses 4 and 5, He says, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. God is calling His people out of Babylon before He destroys it. The same way God is calling us out of the world before this world finally collapses on its own sin and evil. The city of Babylon was the crime center of the world. Babylon was judged because of her sins, was unrepentant. There was a huge occult system there that worshipped Satan. Foul spirits were controlling the minds of men. Then Babylon was judged because of her influence. Babylon influenced the rest of the world. The center of social, political, cultural, commercial, economic life was, uh, was influenced. Babylon was a huge influence. Guess who's a huge influence in today's world, around, around the world? America. America's a huge influence. And America, some people, some theologians have connected America with Babylon. I don't think so. I don't think America is going to be part of this last three and a half years of, of, of man's history. I really don't. I think Babylon is a special geographic place with that, with that uh, uh, demonic uh, antichrist uh, in charge. That's his headquarters. I don't even think America will be part of that. Babylon will be judged because of her infidelity, living and proclaiming iniquity. 
and uh, anti-God feelings. And then, of course, Babylon will be judged because of her inhumanity. Inhumanity. Chapter 18, verse 13. He says that they dealt with the bodies and souls of men. They dehumanized all men and stripped them of their dignity. Babylon, all the luxury and splendor of the city of Babylon will be gone in one hour. There will be a loss of sea trade. Chapter 18, verse 19. They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. They will be, there will be a loss of music, a loss of jobs. Verse 22, the music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. So music stops, work ceases. When Babylon is overthrown, the, the sea trade and the commerce from the sea, which is very lucrative, is, uh, will be done with no more. And let me just make a side comment here. President Trump is trying to make an even score between the United States and foreign nations who have been taking advantage of the United States and their trade deficits in the past. President Trump is trying to put a stop to that. But point being, there are literally billions of dollars that flow from the trade between countries over the seas. That will cease. Chapter 18, verse 21. A mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea. And then verse 23. The light of the lamp will never shine on you again. Babylon itself will go into darkness. There will be loss of light. And then verse 20. The time of rejoicing for God's people. In verse 20 is an interesting scene. Listen to me. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. All of these saints and prophets and apostles are gone. They're in heaven. They've died. Most of them, if not all, have been killed and murdered by the evil system. They're in heaven. And now they're able to look down from heaven on what's going on on earth. I've had many people ask me, Pastor, when we get to heaven, when we die, will we know what's going on on planet Earth? And I have to say that because of scriptures like this and others, we'll have a pretty good idea. We'll be able to see and, and view what's happening. When we're raptured and we're in the presence of God, we're in what we call an intermediate heaven. We're not in the final New Jerusalem that covers heavens and earth. We're in an intermediate heaven. We'll be with the Lord Jesus. It'll be wonderful. But we will be able to see what's going on around us, which means that there are saints, witnesses, as it says in Hebrews, who watch over our lives. There, there are people who've gone before us are watching us now to see how we do. It's kind of scary, huh? especially when you, you know, go to the shower or do other things. You're being watched by a great cloud of witnesses. Finally, the message points to remember. Number one, God is intimately aware of everything that goes on under the sun. Everything. He doesn't miss a trick. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows your thoughts even before you think them. He knows your words before you speak them. He knows events that are going to take place before they do. 
And God sees everything. And He remembers everything. Nothing escapes His memory. That's why He's called the judge of all the earth. Human judges can't remember everything. They can only render a judgment based on the information they have. God has all the information about every one of us. Scary, but He loves us. Secondly, every familiar human institution that's been corrupted by man will come to an end. Money, finance will come to an end. Government and business will come to an end. Entertainment, talk about corruption, will come to an end. Man-made religions will come to an end. Everything that has been corrupted by man will come to an end. Thirdly, God will judge and destroy evil in all of its forms. He will judge and destroy evil. And lastly, God will not share His glory with anyone. He will not share His glory. That means He should be. He demands that we be the center of our focus and our worship. Period. I can't tell you how many Christians put their children, family members, over God. In the years that I've been at this church, I've seen people come and go because they don't like the fact that I stood up with a backbone and said, this is not going to happen in this sanctuary. Your child is acting up and it's causing worship to be, uh, to be scattered. It, it takes When we're here, this is a special, a holy place where your focus should be on Jesus Christ and on Him alone. That's why I go in the back when I, when I pray. I don't want people looking at me. I want people focusing on Christ, reading the words, and, and getting completely absorbed with Jesus. And anything that distracts from that bugs me. And people have left because they've gotten mad at me. That's okay. I'll stand up for righteousness, and if it clears the whole church out, that's the way it goes. I'm still going to stand strong for Christ and make sure that this is a place of worship and that God is honored here. And I want everyone to worship Him and give Him the glory that He deserves. He will not share His glory with anyone. Money, people, family, jobs... Your focus, your giving of praise and glory should go to Him alone. And when that happens, all these things will be added unto you. God will bless you. He will raise you up and will bless the work of your hands when you put Him first. That doesn't mean that we should ignore our wives or our husbands or our children. No. When we are focused on Jesus we love them even more and are even more able to serve them as, as they need to be served. May God help us to do that. Let's pray. Father, there's so much in these scriptures. I am encouraged that everything we hold dear to ourselves, our money, our finances, our bank accounts, will one day not be any good. What will we do? It will be a time of reckoning 
you will be stripping everything that's important out of the human race. And you will be begging them to come and focus on you and give you worship and praise and kneel before you in utmost humility. But according to your word, very little of that will happen as far as worshiping you. The hardness of men's hearts will continue. God, I pray for those who have chosen to come to the service today. doesn't matter the number of people here. What matters is that the truth of the word goes out and that people's faith is built up. And I pray that you would build the faith of each of these dear saints up, that you would bless them from hearing the words in the book of Revelation, chapters 17 and 18, and that they would know that everything that man does to try to promote himself and try to push God out of the way will come to an end. It will crash and burn, and you will get all the glory. God, help us in these last days as we see lawlessness gaining that we would put our focus more and more on you, O God. I pray for your sweet, dear blessings on each of these dear saints here today. Bless them as they rise. Bless them as they sit. Bless them as they go in. Bless them as they go out. Bless them in their eating and their sleeping. Bless them in their work. Bless them in their travel. May you fill their hearts with goodness, O God, we pray. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise today. Isn't He good? He's